Um, I'm on a show with you this morning. Um, I'm a bit of a hoarder. Um, I'm actually, I'm a lot of a hoarder. And so one of the things that I love collecting is what I'm going to share with you this morning. And so a picture's going to come up on the screen. And this is one of the things that I collect. I collect rocks. You're all stunned there. I could feel like I wasn't expecting that. Um, so I collect rocks. And, and actually, um, these are rocks that people have thrown at me. Okay? Seriously, these are rocks that people have thrown at me all through my life. And in every one of those rocks is attached to an event or a person or an experience. And I know every rock that's in that box. So I'm going to share a couple of them with you this morning. One of them is a rock that, that hit me with when I was eight or nine. And it was a guy that took a bend round our house at about um, at too fast, hit me. Um, in the middle of the road, left me in the road and he drove off. So I was the victim of a hit and run accident at about eight or nine. So that rock is in there. The bigger rock was what my brother wrote about that event. And I only found this out a few years, uh, loads of years later when we were cleaning out of his stuff when he got married. You know, you should do a diary for school and you'd write what your weekend was like. Well, this was my brother's entry for, for that particular weekend. Bear in mind, I'd been knocked over and left in the road at eight. So he wrote this. I was playing football with my friends. When I heard a big bang, I saw my sister go flying through the air, and then I scored a goal. That's what he wrote about me. About me. That is truth to the word. To the word, that is true. Um, some of the rocks in there, though, aren't all things where I was innocent of, okay? There's a big rock in there where um, there was a girl I was at school with, to my shame, she was, she was bullied at school, and to my shame, through a stupid dare, I set her hair on fire. See, yes, that wasn't a giggle, was it? But that rock is in there because some of the rocks are things where I have thrown them. I've thrown them back. So they're in there. But the truth is, you see, that we all carry a box like this of stuff where people have thrown stuff at you and it's wounded you and it's gone in, the, in your box. And so if you've disappointed me or embarrassed me publicly or if you've lied to me, your rock is in my box. If you have wounded me, if you have hurt me, if you've dumped me, your rock is in that box. And because I've been living quite a number of years now, significantly, <laughs> the, that box gets quite weighty. And I carry that box around with me all the time. And so do you. And so do you. Your rocks will look quite different to mine. They'll be different shapes, but you'll remember every single one of them. And sometimes the smallest rocks that people throw, when they smack you on the back of the head, come quite sharp, don't they? They'll go in your box. So if that box is really weighty, there has to be a way to deal with the contents of that box. And I've got great news for you this morning, because there's an app for that, and that app is called Forgiveness. So I don't know about you, but I get really inspired when I hear stories about forgiveness, you know, when people have forgiven things for things that, that I just think, how has anybody managed to do that? And they often get reported on the news, on the media, don't they, when something like that happens. And I can remember growing up with, um, probably some, before some of you were born, about the bombing that was in Inniskillen um, in Ireland. Do you remember that? And about the guy that stood and said that he was, he'd forgiven, he'd lost, I think he'd lost his daughter, and he said that he was... He was 
offering and showing forgiveness to the people that had hurt him and taken away that, that precious gift from his family. And then I remember the Columbine shootings. Do you remember those ones in America where um, the, the girl had, had written a diary? You can read the book. It's an awesome book to read, an awesome story where she kept a diary. And she was a Christian. She loved Jesus. And she died in the Columbine shootings. And, and her dad came out and, and talked about forgiveness and talked about offering and the journey of forgiveness because it's what his daughter would have wanted him to do because of her understanding and her relationship with Jesus. And, um, and we all love stories of forgiveness, don't we, when somebody else is doing the forgiving. And, and that is the thing that really challenged me over that. It's like I can applaud that and celebrate that and, and sort of enter into that whole sort of, sort of um, deal with that. But actually, when somebody else is doing the forgiving, that's okay. It's actually when I have to forgive that things start to get a little bit more complicated and a little bit more raw. And that's called forgiveness in the abstract, really. It's like, you know, how many of you would say this morning that it's not a good thing to hold on to grudges and hurts for long periods of time? How many would say that that's not a great thing to do? And then how many of you would you say that healthy people, or to live a healthier lifestyle, it's really good advice to let go of stuff that's eating you up inside? Because health, healthily and emotionally and physically, that is a good thing to do. You'd agree with me, wouldn't you? And there's absolute loads and stacks loads of evidence and research that proves that to be true. But the issue is we all love forgiveness in the abstract. The problem is, is when we have to forgive in this particular situation or for that particular experience, this situation, then that's a whole nother deal, isn't it? Because you will say to me, but you don't understand, Jay. And the truth is, even when I said this morning that we're going to look at the app of forgiveness, there'd be a reason in your head right where it said, but actually, yeah, but I can't forgive that for X reason. We can manufacture these reasons that come up, and some of them are really, really valid about why it's okay for me not to forgive that person in that particular situation. And so what you're going to hear this morning on this really sensitive issue, and I'm really trying to be as sensitive as I can, I'll present some stuff to you about my own life and about some truths that God has said that have been stark in my face over the last few weeks again, and, and teaching and stuff that I've had that have helped me apply this whole, whole issue of forgiveness in my life. And the only place and the best place to start with that is in the Bible. So we're going to look at a verse in Matthew chapter 18. It's going to come up on the screens for you. You haven't got a Bible with you, and that's fine. And it's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22. And here's my, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, Peter, coming up with a question that we wouldn't love to ask and with an answer that he thinks Jesus is going to love. So then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times. And in some versions of the Bible, it actually says 70 times seven. Do you know, and I bet Peter's heart dropped inside of him when Jesus said that, because I think he thought, do you know what, I've got this answer. You know, seven is, is a really important number in the Bible. And if you're into studying stuff, give that a look, because some really interesting stuff about numbers in the Bible. But I think Peter thought, I've got it. I've got it. It's seven, isn't it? It's seven. And so when Jesus turned around to him and said, well, actually, it's 70 times seven. I think his heart would have dropped like a stone. But what would have happened if Jesus said yes to that question? Have you thought that? If Jesus said, yes, you're bang on, Peter, seven times, seven times. But do you know what the problem with that is? The problem with counting the number 
of times we forgive is that we will be forever counting. So if Jesus said that, said that, yes, Peter, it's seven, he'd have gone four. That's the fourth time. That's the fifth time you've done it. That's the seventh. Oh, wait till you've done that the eighth time and you're going to get it, mate. I tell you, with everything I've got within me because I've done the seven and you, you know, you, you've had your quota. That's the truth, isn't it? Because as human beings, we would count. We would keep on counting. And what we're saying by the number is, I'm just waiting till I can get revenge, actually. I'm just waiting for the time when I can come back at you with everything I've got and all the venom and malice that's in me because of what you've done for me. Because for me, forgiveness has a limit and the limit is seven. But what Jesus is really saying here is, I think, is that you can limit a person's behaviour, but you cannot limit your forgiveness. It is perfectly right and proper to put boundaries around people. Absolutely right and proper. But we shouldn't set boundaries around our forgiveness. And Jesus knew, you know, that forgiveness wasn't a one push, deletes all. He knew that. He knew perfectly well that this was an application that we would have to apply time and time and time again. Have you ever tried um, to really forgive somebody you thought you had? And then something happens and that memory comes up again. You find yourself right back in that place with all the emotions of it, with the full experience of it. And you think, I thought I'd dealt with this. I thought I'd got past this point. You're just as angry, just as offended, just as wounded. And I just want to say to you this morning as well that, um, that sometimes it can be the same wound. It doesn't have to be. 77 times or 70 times seven different things. It could be that one big deep thing that God and Jesus are asking us this morning to forgive again and again. And C.S. Lewis came up with a brilliant quote for this and I wish I'd written this because there's so much truth in this. And he said this, to forgive for the moment is not that difficult. But to go on forgiving, to forgive the same offence again and again, every time, every time it re-emerges in your memory, there's the real tussle. How true is that? You know, Jesus really understood this because forgiveness is often more like a journey for us, isn't it? It's more like a journey for us. It's like peeling back an onion and you think you've done it and there's another layer and you think you've done it and there's another layer. And you know what? That's not a problem because we keep doing it until it's done. And I know really well in my own life that forgiveness isn't easy, but I also know I can make it so much more difficult for myself. And so much more complicated than it needs to be. And I can even cause myself more problems than I had in the first place. And what do I mean by that? I mean, what are my other options? If I don't forgive that person, that offence, that wound, what are my other options? My other options are, I remain really angry and I get bitter. They're my only other options. And it's often the smaller things, isn't it? The insignificant things that we feel were seemingly insignificant that really kind of trip us up. They're like the pebble in your shoe. You know, that when you get that pebble in your shoe and you just can't get it out, but every time you walk, you can feel it. You know it's in there somewhere. The only way to deal with that is you take your shoe off and you shake the pebble out and you put it in. You put your shoe back on. And that's part of the stuff we're going to talk about, about this morning because if I don't apply this app of forgiveness... I'm just going to get bitter. 
not better, but bitter. So I'm going to give a little time, a few minutes to talk about this whole thing about bitterness, really, because if we don't get this in perspective and we don't get this in the context, everything else I'll say is just going to fall through your fingers like sand. So the first thing is this. Bitterness has a really dangerous root. And when will a bitter root start to grow? Well, I want to suggest that bitter roots start to grow in the soil of a wound that hasn't been dealt with how God would want me to deal with it. The root will start to grow in a wound, in the soil around that wound, if I'm not dealing with it in the way that God would want me to deal with it. And where do roots grow? Come on, you help me. Where do roots grow? Underground. So it's an underground job. It's an underground job. And other people may look at you and look at me this morning and think we've got it all together and everything is great. And you can look around the room at each other and think, oh, everything's really rosy in their garden. But actually underground, underground it may be, and for me, a totally different story. So what do we know about roots? I know very little. I'm not a very good gardener. I have little knowledge about this. But there are three things that I know about roots. They absorb, they store, and they grow. They absorb, they store, and they grow. What do they absorb? They absorb painful information. So when you say something to me that has hurt me, or even about somebody I love, I will absorb that. I don't know how that happens, but we do. It's almost like, you know, almost like we're porous and it goes straight into our bloodstream. And we absorb that stuff. But then we store the words. We store them away that somebody has said about us or against us. And if we leave those unattended, let me tell you, it will grow. There is no other way. There's no other option. It's not going to stop. It will start to consume the ground that we're giving to that root. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, that love keeps no record of wrongs. Bitterness, I want to suggest to you, keeps a very detailed record of wrongs. And in fact, it becomes a rock that I've picked up and put in my box. And I haven't just picked it up, I'll analyse it, I'll catalogue it, and I'll put it in a specific place in my box, because that's got a bit of pride of place there. That was a really, really special wound, a really special rock, something that really affected me really badly. And I'll take the time to keep going over it and over it and examining it and putting it round, and I'll put it in my carry-around box. So how do we know if we have a root of bitterness growing? I think if somebody hurts me, And I can remember every word they've said, where exactly everybody was, what exactly happened. I have to look at myself and think, that could be an indication there, Jane, that there's something growing in there. The second thing is that bitterness has a very poisonous fruit. A very poisonous fruit. You see, if unchecked, what was underground, I can guarantee this, will eventually grow into fruit that you can see. I might not see it, but you will see it. You will see it. And there's a Greek word called manio, um, M-A-N-I-O, and it means to stain, to pollute, or to contaminate. And I think that's what bitterness does. It stains, it contaminates, it pollutes my relationships, not just with you, but with God. It stops me doing things that I may have done before because I don't feel comfortable in that environment. I think that's going to happen to me again. Or if that person's there, I'm not going. And it stops me. It restricts me. It becomes a hindrance to me. So how do I know if my heart's growing bitter? I just want to give you a few suggestions here. I easily see the bad in you. I easily see the bad in you. I pick you apart. Who do you think you are? Have you seen what they're doing? 
have they got that job? Oh, if Leon only know what they did when Monday to Friday, you wouldn't have them up there on a Sunday. That's what comes into my mind. If something is growing underground, I feel, then I feel justified in criticising and gossiping about you. I feel like it's my right to tell you. It's my right to tell you. Watch out for them. Shouldn't trust them, you know. I told them something everybody in the church knew. Watch what you're saying to them. I wouldn't let them look after you, young people. Don't let them be a children's work. Oh, that terrible. And I feel justified in saying that to you. Here's a big one that God reminded me of recently because I did it. I secretly celebrate when something misfortunate happens to you. I secretly celebrate when something misfortunate happens to you. So when something goes wrong in your life, I go, yes. Oh, what goes around comes around. Karma sucks, doesn't it? Got a great passage in my Bible, Jesus talks about karma. There isn't, by the way. I just like to think there is. Because it makes me feel better. And it's almost like I justify that. Because you're getting what you deserve now, really, aren't you? I knew it would happen if I waited around long enough. But the fourth one is, not only do I hurt myself, but I hurt you. I bring you down. I create what I call dangerous and strategic alliances. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that somebody has hurt me, and I want you to know the whole truth. So I will feel totally justified and well in going to Burnham and going, do you know when that happened to me? This is how it made me feel. And do you know what they did? And they did all of this stuff. And, and I'm building up and building up and building up this fruit. And then Bernard's eating it. <laughs> it's how it works. It's how it, I'm being honest as I can with you guys. This is how it works. You need to know the whole truth, Bernard, so you can side with me. You can side with me. And most people struggling with the bitterness don't seek, don't acknowledge it. So how do you know if it's you? How do I know if it's me? And the only thing I can suggest is if I find myself rationalising my thought life or my behaviour and saying things like, if you only knew, if you only knew what they'd done, what I'd been through, you'd see my situation so differently, Jane. If I could just show you exactly what had happened to me. And do you know what? That may be true. But I'd also like to say, if that's you, if that's me... Maybe our eyes have been blinded to the fact that there's a root of bitterness growing and we need to peel away some layers there so we can see what's going on. Because the longer we allow the root to grow, the harder it is to kill it. You know that, you gardeners. If you allow a root to grow, you suddenly find you're pulling up half your lawn because it's rooted so well in there. But you know what? Some great news this morning. We can kill it. We can kill it. And there are two ways we can kill this root. And they're found in Ephesians 4, verses 31 to 32. And it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I can kill my bitterness with compassion. Do you know what? If you're wounded towards somebody, I can probably guarantee that your heart's getting really cold towards them. That your heart's getting really cold towards them. Because hurt people hurt people. And so what the only way I've found to actually deal with that is that actually if I see that person as a hurt person, it sort of softens the edges around my anger a little bit. And sometimes I hate it when God does that. Because I'm really justified in how I feel. 
But actually, it's not so much about how I feel in that sense. It's sometimes I have to see how God sees them. And they're equally as, equally as hurt as I've been. So it softens the edges around my anger. And the second thing is we kill bitterness with forgiveness. Do you know what? Forgiveness isn't elective that we take when we become a Christian. It's not like, well, you can believe that Jesus died, you can believe that Jesus rose again, and you can choose to add on, bolt on forgiveness if you want to. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Forgiveness is a requirement. If you count yourself somebody who loves Jesus this morning, it's a requirement of our lives to forgive others as God has forgiven you. And this is when you say, but if you knew, Jane, if you knew. Leon used a phrase a couple of weeks ago when he spoke about myths. And so I thought that was a really great way of of sort of showing a different perspective and the flip of the coin. So we're going to dispel some myths about forgiveness this morning, about what forgiveness isn't. And then hopefully we'll be left with an easier view of what it actually is. So what isn't forgiveness? Forgiveness is not forgetting. You will always remember, I would probably say, 90% of the stuff that's happened to you in your life if somebody prompts you to think about it. Forgiveness is not forgetting, but it won't have the power over you that it once had. It won't have the power over you it once had. It once had. Forgiveness isn't excusing. It's not excusing what's happened. You know, I excuse a waiter who's chipped a bottle, of, you know, a glass of wine in my lap. You know, that was an accident. I can excuse that. I don't make him get to his knees and forgive, go through the whole process of forgiveness with me. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It was an accident. It doesn't need excusing. We can forgive only when we hold somebody responsible for something. Forgiveness isn't things going back to the way they were before. Do you know what? It's really nice when that happens, and I celebrate it when it does, but it's not always possible, and it shouldn't be possible in certain instances and certain situations. You know, it might be years, or it may be never, before that person is trusted again, or you have any kind of relationship with that person. It's a huge myth, you know, that forgiveness means there's no consequences at all. That's the biggest myth of all. Forgiveness isn't the same as acceptance. You know, I accept you for who you are. I forgive you for what you've done. There's a difference there. So I'm not accepting something. It's not the same as tolerance. I don't have to tolerate what people do when I forgive them for doing it. I don't have to tolerate what people are doing to forgive them for doing it. So, for example, you know, my... When I went to school, I went to a really tough primary school in Netherton, really hard. Um, you know, and week one, you know, the bully would come and have your dinner money. And I couldn't wait till I was a couple of years older so I could be that person that had the dinner money. I thought that's how it worked. You know, that as you rose up the school ranks, you became those people that actually had the money. But, you know, I learned very quickly that that really isn't the way to go. And so you, get, you give the money over and you go home and you cry about it and you, you, you can forgive them and go back next day on a clean day. You know, a new start. The guy comes again, has your money back. Do you know what? If I'd let that happen all through my school life, by the year 11, I'd be malnutritioned. And as you can see, I'm not. But that is the truth of it. I would have been. I can forgive the bully, but I need to tell. And I'm going to say something really sensitive to you this morning. If you're in a situation that you should not be tolerating, tell. Tell. 
And there are people here that can help you on that journey. You can catch Sandra or any of the leadership team here. They would love to actually help you on that journey of actually forgiveness, but also not tolerating what is going on for you. And the last myth is restoration. This is a big smack in the face with a wet kipper for me. <laughs> Do you know what? I can forgive you even if you're not in the least bit sorry for what you've done? I can forgive you if you're not in the least bit sorry for what you've done to me. I can forgive you even if I don't trust you. It doesn't mean I put myself right back in the place where you can do it all over again. Forgiveness has no strings attached to it. Restoration has several strings attached to that. Why? And this is really important because restoration can be harmful for you if the other person hasn't acknowledged what they've done and are really genuinely sorry for that. It's a harmful thing to try and do. And I don't think God wants that for you and for your life. Because forgiving someone doesn't qualify them in any way to have any other part in your life. It doesn't entitle them to anything from you at all. That isn't what God is saying about forgiveness. So if those are all the myths then, so what is this forgiveness thing all about? Well, forgiveness is related to other words which really say what it is on the tin really. It means to release or let go or to set free. And a major part of forgiveness and what we do when we forgive is that we let go. We let go of the past. We let go of the offense. We let go of the hurt. And then we release the offender. We release our anger. We release my desire to get even. And we struggle with that. But forgiveness in the Bible is also about cancelling a debt. You see, forgiveness deals with the pain that I have associated with that memory instead of saying, you owe me. You owe me something. I, I, and I'm going to require that of you and I'm going to pull that out of you. It allows me to be free from that pain and hurt it's not giving in to that temptation to retaliate and have revenge on you. And you remember my box of rocks that I collect? You see, the truth is, I'm not really designed to throw rocks at all. That isn't in my design. That isn't in my DNA. And how do I know that? Because how many times have we, have I, have you, had someone take a shot at you, and instead of leaving it alone, we go to war over it. We take each other on. And a week or a month later, I'm so battered and so bruised by that whole series of events, I'm the victim of a battle that, if I'm really honest with you, wasn't worth the grief it cost me. And how did I get there? I threw the rock. I threw the rock. You know, God says in Luke 6, 27, 28, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. Not one of my favorite verses in the Bible, if I'm honest. But it doesn't mean that it's not truth. Because God knows I'm not designed to pick up rocks that get thrown at me. And I'm definitely not to have a little designer box to put them in and carry them around. So when I cancel that debt, I am giving up my right to get even. But who am I giving that right to? I'm giving that right to God. I'm giving that right to God. It's not like it doesn't have any consequence. It doesn't mean anything. It means I'm giving up my right to get even and I'm passing that right on to God. You know, Proverbs 20, 22 says, do not say I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. 
You see, forgiveness changes my status. It changes my status from a victim to being a victor over something. Because I'm the victim when somebody hurts me. You're the victim when somebody hurts you. And that's fine. That's right. But when I forgive, what I'm saying is, I no longer i am going to let that event dictate my response. No more. I'm not going to let that event dictate my response and the way that I respond to you, the way that I respond to my family, the way that I respond to my friendships. No more. I'm drawing a line. And the second truth is I have to forgive people whether they ask me or not. Remember Ephesians, we read that, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, here's a question that I had recently from God. How quickly did Jesus forgive you, Jane? How quickly did Jesus forgive you? When Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the famous line we all love to bring out at Easter, and it is truth, how many people had asked him to forgive them? How many? Nobody. And even when he was on that cross and he was looking down at the people who were ripping his clothes to pieces and casting lots for them and deciding what bits of his life they were going to take home with them, he looked down on them and forgave them. They didn't know it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't realize they needed it. And he did it. He did it. Jesus took the initiative and forgave in advance. How quick is that? And against that measure, I've got nothing to say to that. So how do we do it then? How do we forgive? And this is the only way I've learned, and I get this, I trip myself up over this all the time, and this is stuff that I've learned and, and brought into, trying to bring it into my life, and I don't get it right all the time, but this is the best way that I've found that it works. You have to be as honest with God as you've ever been. You have to be as honest with God as you've ever been. Don't tell me it's not a big deal, because it is. Don't tell me, I'm just going to put it out of my mind, Jane, because if I don't think about it, I don't have to deal with it, and I don't feel it. And I can actually live my life quite well like that. Can you? You may think you are. It may not be what other people see. Don't brush it under the carpet, because it'd be like an elephant in your front room. I have, we have rooms at home where if you open the door, oh, I would be mortified because it's the stuff we just push everything in, thinking we'll get round to that at some point. Don't open that door because we can't actually get in one. It's, it's, you know, it's the truth of it. But we have rooms like that in our lives. Please don't come and knock on that door. Please don't prod me with that. And some of you are feeling that this morning. With all sensitive and all grace, I want to say, that's God knocking on that door, not me. That is God knocking on that door, not me. So how do we do it? Three quick things. One, you need to label it. You need to name it. Name it, shame it. Say exactly what it is. Don't say, oh, so-and-so hurt me. Put it safe for what it is. Second thing is, tell God the person who's responsible for wounding you. So you've named it. You've told God who it is who did it. And here's the really important thing. You need to tell God all the consequences that have happened to you as a result. Because if you don't, I can tell you, and I've done this, it's like us mowing the lawn of dandelions at the stems, and they've all gone, and in six weeks' time, they're gone, we're here, beautiful lawn of yellow things, we're here again. Root it out. 
Root it out. Forgiveness isn't some cheap thing. It cost Jesus his life. I'm going to ask the guys just to come back up. Because the truth is we all need a push and a prod, don't we? This isn't something that I naturally come to. I'm not a natural forgiver in that sense. You know, I don't find it easy. But I need a push and a prod sometimes to let go of my right to avenge, really. And what I need to do that is to get the realisation that God has forgiven me a debt infinitely greater than what's been done to me. And we lose perspective on that. God has forgiven me a debt infinitely greater than any debt owed to me. It's like me giving a cup of water to Leon out of the ocean of forgiveness that I've received. That's what it's like. And if that works for you, use that analogy. It's like you giving a cup of water to somebody when you've had an ocean yourself. You know, forgiveness doesn't spring out to me like an ever-flowing spring. Spring, spring. It's not springing out all over. Let's get out while the forgiveness is coming out. It doesn't work like that because I'm human. Naturally, find forgiveness really difficult. So it has to come from a higher source. And that higher source is this. It has to come out of the experience of forgiveness that I've received. It has to flow from the experience of forgiveness that I've received. And so there are two questions I want to ask you this morning. And the first question is this. Are you a person sitting here this morning that can say to me, you have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? I don't mean you believe that he died for you. I don't mean that you believe he rose from the dead. I don't mean you believe that he can forgive. I mean, have you experienced and felt that expression and that, and that flow of forgiveness from God to you over your life? Because if not, I want to suggest that you start right there. Because you've got nothing to forgive from if you can't. So forget what's been done to you for a moment. Whatever that thing that is in your head, if it's something there, try and put to one side that wound for a little minute. Maybe the hurt and anger that gets attached to that. And the harder thing is to try and forget that you even have a right to feel that way. You know, some of you are hearing about God and you're on your journey of finding out about who God is and you've never known God in this way. This is really important. I need to tell you something. You need to get this. Some wounds in life are completely pointless. Completely pointless. Some wounds in life are absolutely essential. And here's an essential one. Jesus deliberately let himself be wounded for me and for you and we never asked him to do that. We never asked him to do that. But that had to happen so that we can experience forgiveness and so that we have something to pass on. So if you would say this morning, Jane, you know what? I don't know whether I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever fully and completely asked Jesus to forgive me of everything. You know, all that I've said, all that I've done, all that I've not said, all that I've left undone, and all of that stuff, do you know what? You can do that right now. You can experience that right now. And you can say, Jane, even about this? Yes, even about that. Even if it's something that you have done, that song that we sang, your debt is paid. It's already paid. He's already forgiven you. We just need to ask for that. It's already there. And so I just want to ask you, if you've never done that this morning, would you like to? Because I would love to pray for you. And if that's you, just put your hand in the air and, and I'll just pray for you and, and we can move on. Thank you. Thank you. 
Father, I want to thank you for those people that would said this morning that they've never fully experienced that forgiveness that flows from you. Father, what a really, really special time that is this morning for them. Father, I pray that whatever is in their minds right now that they're holding in front of them, that would be a reason why you can't or why you won't or why you wouldn't. God, I thank you, Father, that what you did on the cross wipes all that away. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. And Father, I pray that they would feel that forgiveness right now. They would feel that transaction, that change, that exchange happening right now. That as they offer that up to you, Father, what we get in return is so much greater. It's so much larger. And I just feel that God would want to say to you guys, be forgiven. Be forgiven. And the second question I want to ask is this, that if you would say that you have, that you have received that experience, you have received that, that forgiveness, have you got a wound this morning that God would say to you, do you know what, you should have set that down a long time ago. You should have let that go a while ago, miles ago, years ago even, but you still carry it. There's just a little quick illustration of two monks and they're walking down the road and they've got a part of their order where they're not allowed to talk to people of the opposite sex. You know, they're not allowed to have any interaction with females at all and um, because that's part of the order that they're in. Um, and so they get to this stream and they have to cross it and there's a woman there and she's struggling with loads of things and this one monk looks at her and he just picks her up and he carries her over the stream and he, and he lays her down and puts her on, on the other side and she carries on with the day. And then these two monks carry on walking to where they're going. And the one guy says to me after a while, he went, can't believe you did that. Can't believe you did that. You've just broken every law of our order. You actually interacted with somebody of the opposite. How could you do that? And the other monk said to him, brother, I lifted that woman up. I carried her over the stream and I set her down. I haven't thought about her since. You were still carrying her. You are still carrying her. And that's exactly what God wants to say to you this morning. It's time to lay it down, guys. It's time to set it down. You know, is there a wound that you would say, there's an app for that? You need to press that app again. If you start that process this morning, let me tell you, you'll be releasing yourself from the worst prison in the world. The worst prison in the world. The prison that, that contains and restricts you. Because forgiveness is a gift. Not just a gift that we give to each other, but a gift that we give to ourselves. It's a gift that we give to ourselves. It's a gift of finding freedom from my past. You know, and some of you are still hiding. You're still hiding behind that wound. You're still hiding behind that experience. You're still hiding behind that moment. And you feel it separates you from God. Well, this verse is for you this morning. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God let me tell you this morning God will not waste your wounds God will not waste my wounds God will not waste our wounds if we let him comfort us and then let him use us to comfort those with the same comfort that we've received And just a final quote before we take communion together. This is so profound. And it's this. The miracle of forgiveness is the creation of a new beginning. It doesn't deny the past injury. It merely refuses to let it stand 
in the way of a new start. And when you came this morning, you were given a rock, a pebble, stone. And what's going to happen this morning? And there's no better time to do this than when we have communion together. And there's some buckets that are going to come across the row. And I want you to name whatever that rock is and put it in that bucket as a sense that you're setting it down, that you're starting that process with God, that you're laying it down. And it may be this morning that you think, well, Jane, nothing's come to my mind. That's great. I can guarantee something will happen. You are not immune in our lives to not being hurt and wounded by people. So put it in in advance. Put one in the bank account. So that when that happens, God, I'm going to apply what you've taught me this morning. And then communion is going to follow straight after the buckets. And what that means is actually where the great exchange and the great transaction takes place. And what you've done is you've laid down what your wound and your right to get even and your hurt and your whatever you're, you think is about that issue. And you're going to have that great exchange over communion where Jesus says, it's done. You're free. You're free. You've received my grace. You've received my mercy. Now you now go and be gracious and merciful. So if the guys would just come and let the bucket start to go and just just drop it in the bucket and let that thing go. Let that thing go.